from the Auto Line Studios. Here is your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for tuning in to AutoLine this week, where we're going to be talking about Chrysler, not the Chrysler company, the Chrysler brand. And that's because my special guest today is the president, the CEO of the Chrysler brand, Al Gardner. Al, it's great to have you on AutoLine this week. Thanks for letting me be here, John. Appreciate it. Joining me on my journalist panel today are Mike Whalen from the Detroit News and Lindsey Brook from SAE International. Great having the both of you here as well. Thanks again, John. Well, let's start talking about Chrysler. It's a storied brand, goes way back in history. Typically was uh, a luxury brand, the, the Chrysler Imperial being, you know, the, the flagship of the brand for so long. But that's changing, and I, I want to get an idea of where that brand is. Because when I look at Jeep, I totally understand what the Jeep brand is about. Dodge, all about performance. And uh, the Ram, of course, is all about trucks. What is the Chrysler brand these days, Al? So very simply, John, good question, because I think there is some discussion going on in the marketplaces. What is Chrysler and where are we going? The reality is, in 2009, as we uh, joined up and merged with Fiat, we made a significant shift in the marketplace where Chrysler became the mainstream voice of, the, uh, of our showroom and of the marketplace. And so, so we look at the launch of Importer from Detroit in 2011 and the cars that we introduced then with the 200, the 300, the Newtown country at the time, and we shifted into mass market. Effectively, what we decided to do is this brand was going to go compete with the Fords, the Chevys of the world, the Hyundais, um, and, and of course, Toyota and Honda at the same time. And to do that, our future, therefore, is we need to expand into all those major segments that they play in, and effectively, we'd go from 25 to 30% of the world that we know today to about 80% of, of the volume in the United States. Now, to do that, you effectively have to play in six segments, and that's the future of where the brand's going. But the reality today is we're a, a mainstream mass market brand. We're going to compete with the biggest and the best, and we're going to give the customer something special, but it really is mass market branding at its best. How much stretch is there, Al, above the current 300 in terms of product? And how much, is there any global stretch to Chrysler? Is it exclusively a North American brand going forward? So I'm going to try really hard not to get too far into giving the competitors everything we want to do over the next four or five years. But what we did announce on May 6th in the Investor Day presentation we, we put together was a pretty simple strategy that said that we want to play in six different parts of the segment. Um, we want to play in cars, uh, small cars, mid-sized cars, and large cars. We want to play in minivans, and then we want to play in CUVs, large CUVs and mid-sized CUVs. And if we do that, that's the stretch that says six major segments, let's call it 75-80% of the volume that, that plays in the United States, um, and NAFTA in general. Outside of that, we, we certainly sell in Canada today, we certainly sell uh, in what we'd refer to as LATAM, Asia. Um, and do we think there are opportunities? Absolutely. We currently have uh, uh, discussions going on, obviously, in China, largest uh, automotive market in the world. And frankly, if you want to be viable in a worldwide brand, you'd have to go to China uh, at some point. And we certainly are having conversations. And we have a partner over there. We're looking very seriously at how do we go to market in China. Um, the rest of the story is we're already in Australia, we're already in the Middle East, uh, we are in certain parts of the markets, and uh, Europe we've been in, and we can have a conversation at some point over the next five years of whether we want to go back into Europe. But, but today we are North American based, um, we are certainly looking at uh, Asia as the next frontier, let's call it, and then we'll continue to uh, be in the places that we currently are. 
Can I rephrase the headroom question? Yeah. <clears throat> because obviously with the Fiat family, you've got luxury brands, very well-known global luxury brands. You've got Maserati, you've got certainly at the top in performance, you've got Ferrari. Is there built-in, is there a built-in um, head uh, ceiling to Chrysler that you can't go beyond a certain point because you're intruding in one of the other kind of global luxury brands. Okay, interesting question. So from a pricing standpoint, um, I think there is headroom only because I want to keep Chrysler as a mainstream brand. There's, there, in the world that we live in today, there's no question that luxury is, is moving downstream, lowering the price, and mainstream is moving up. And there's a wonderful gray area in the middle where you can, have, you can build tremendous products that would not be considered luxury, but would be appointed as a luxury vehicle. Mm. The 300, for instance, today, we start the pricing on 300 at 31,395. It's well equipped, it has leather interior, it has a six cylinder engine that gets 31 miles per gallon, eight speed automatic transmission. But we can also price that all the way up into the 45,000 plus range mm -hmm. if you build it appropriately. And so we'll build something called the 300C Platinum, which is a stunning vehicle, has a spectacular interior in it. And, and any person looking for luxury would look at this and go, wow, what a great car. But we're going to price it in the mid 40,000. It starts at 43,395. So um, beyond that, I, I think Chrysler needs to stay where it does what it does best. We are absolutely mainstream. We can build a spectacular car that people will be stunned to get in. It will have the equipment. It will have the content of a vehicle that's priced far more expensively. But we don't need to go there. We need to build something that is truly an American product with American craftsmanship, with all the refinement you'd expect, but price it so people can afford it. So the short answer is I don't want to get too expensive. Uh -huh. Al, you mentioned the mid-size CUV coming, and that market right now is just the largest growing market in the U.S., but Chrysler's not entering it until, I believe, 2018. It seems like that, if you want to call it a fad, might wear out by then. Are you worried about getting to that market a little bit too late? I think the, uh, the reality is, firstly, the, you know, what we announced in May 6th from the investor pitch is that's our plan going forward for the next five years. And in there, at the back end of it, you're absolutely right, was called a DCUV, a mid-sized CUV. Um, that segment continues to grow. We're looking at the volumes increasing this year, and, and to a certain extent, we're looking at Jeep volume increasing this year, partly because of the segment, partly because, in my very biased opinion, we have the best CUV, SUV sitting in that marketplace. Um, but no, I think the segment grows as we move further forward. Um, there are certainly parts of the, of the market that are going to be stagnant. We recognize that. Um, but no, I, I see there's, a, you know, as we look at consumer trends, there's certainly a huge trend towards, I like the mid-sized sedan, but I also need the space and I need an SUV. Now, if I can get the best of both worlds, why would that change? And, and frankly, I would tell you, we see both the mid-sized CUV segment and the large CUV segment as growing segments that, that either will hold or grow over the next five to 10 years. Al, why so long to get a, a crossover SUV in the segment? You'd think that you could take the Dodge Durango, rework that into a Chrysler and have it in the market in short order. Well, it's a, it's a wonderful theory having said that. Uh, everything we do, obviously, we want to get it right for the brand. And, and we could take vehicles from other brands and effectively convert them change the front end, grilled rear, but, but it doesn't make it a Chrysler any more than, frankly, if I took a Chrysler product and made it a Dodge, it would be a true Dodge product. Dodge is all about performance. Durango is all about performance. It's a wonderful vehicle, but it doesn't necessarily fit into what the Chrysler brand needs going forward and, frankly, what the entire company needs going forward. There are segments of the market today that we just don't, frankly, play in as well as we'd like to. 
Um, and large SUVs are one of them where, where a Traverse or an Arcadia plays. It's a much bigger vehicle than a Durango. And Durango is designed to do one thing and one thing right. It does, and frankly, it does a lot of things. But a seven-passenger towing vehicle with a big V8 that is a lot of fun to drive and handles wonderfully. That may not be what I need for the Chrysler brand, frankly. That's, that isn't necessarily what I would like as a mainstream vehicle that fits that segment of the marketplace and frankly goes head to head with, with GM, which is the owner of that large SUV market or CUV market. So, so we look at this as, as the need to really brand correctly. Um, the Chrysler brand has to stand for something as does the Dodge brand. We said Dodge was performance, you're absolutely right. Mainstream performance at a great price at a great value, but it's performance and that's the way that, that plan is. Kaniskas wants to run it and he's absolutely right. Chrysler needs to be mainstream, but it doesn't need to appeal to the same customer. And we've got into these branding discussions inside and outside about what is Chrysler, what is Dodge, and we are forcing the issue of driving these two brands apart. That's the reason why you, you take Grand Caravan and you decide you're not going to build that and you make it all town and country. So the entire minivan business is, is the Chrysler part of the world. And hopefully in the next year and a half, you'll see what we're talking about, which is the spectacular minivan that will genuinely take on the imports of their own game. What was your decision to stay in minivan? This has been very controversial. Others have been in it, Al, and they've gotten out. Honda's stayed in it. They've, done a, they've really gone headlight to headlight with you guys in terms of product uh, features and so forth. I don't know about volume, but um, why stay in that segment? Yeah, really, that's a, a really interesting question because we fought about this a long time on the inside the, uh, of the company. The reality is the segment's fairly stable. People think that the minivan segment's going away, and the reality is it's not. There is a buyer, and there are half a million buyers a year who want sliding doors. And they need it because that's their lifestyle today. They need to be the ease of, of sliding the door back and getting the kids in the seats. And it really is two sets of customers. You have young people with families, and then you have older people who are, it's just easier to get in and out of. So the minivan segment is very stable. We're looking at half a million units a year, and we look at it for the next five to ten years. Across so, the industry. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's number one. Number two, and, and the most obvious reason, we invented it. We own it. We still sell 50% of all the minivans in the United States, and in fact, NAFTA. We do even better up in Canada. Um, and we know we can build the best. So when you have the customer base that's sitting out, there were 30 years of selling minivans. Um, when you know the segment's going to be sold and you already have 50% of the market, as good as the Odyssey and Sienna are, we can build something better than that and we can hold on to our customer base. So, frankly, very lucrative business that we think we can do extremely well at in the future. And by the way, I'm thrilled that other people are getting out because it really opens up a market that we think is, was a great one to be in. Now, what are demographics in that market? Uh, it's... It is, as I said, it's really two sets of demographics. You have the, the mid-30s and early 40s who've got kids, and then you've got the 65 and older who... Kids and dogs. I mean, that's yeah. a... Being a minivan owner, sliding doors really work well when you've exactly got right. three kids, dogs to get in the car. Kids and dogs would work for me. I, right. Yes, I, I've just got the kids off in college, and I get a dog, and so I need a town and country. a minivan, so, right. Uh, Yes, my neighbors would not appreciate that, but, but I will happily drive a minivan. Wonderful vehicle, but that's it. It's, uh, it's a wonderful cross-section, and I would tell you that, that what we don't do so well today is the younger buyer who's looking for technology, uh, simplicity, and design, and the new product that we have slated for a year and a half from now that we, we can't get into for all the obvious reasons, but we're really excited to bring this, this product to market because I think it will take the market by storm and give a whole bunch of people something to think about. You said you've got about 50% of that industry right now, and with the Grand Caravan going away and those customers not being able to return to Dodge, 
do you have any special planning for how you're going to get them to say, I'm going to go over to Chrysler now? Because like you said, that those young buyers are going for the Dodge uh, Grand Caravan, I think, over to Chrysler. Yeah, so the, the short answer is yes, and the long answer is, Mike, if I told you, I'd be telling both Honda, Toyota, and Kia, who would love to know how we're going to do that, because, because if I was them, and I'm being serious, if I was them today, I would be looking at the exact same thing on how can I conquest those Dodge owners to bring them to whatever market that I'm selling my vehicle in. Um, the reality is these are Chrysler Group owners. Uh, they bought a Dodge because of the way we structured the uh, pricing on the minivan. The caravan has always been less expensive. The town and country is the more expensive. In fact, if you go back a couple of years, we had the Plymouth Voyager stuck in the middle as well. And so when we were able to, we were able to move Plymouth Voyager customers into both town and country and caravan, it became a pricing exercise. We effectively price our caravans $30,000 and below. We put town and country $30,000 and above. So, so do we think it's easy to bring them over? To a certain extent. We think the Dodge owner today will be happy to buy a Chrysler product tomorrow if we give them the right product at the right price with the right value proposition. Naturally, we talk to them a lot today, like any good automotive manufacturer would. And, and our expectation is not only are we going to keep them, then we will let Conquest away from from our competitors down the road. So, so keep that market share and then grow it. Okay. I certainly hope so. Okay. Al, you mentioned uh, this shareholder or uh, analyst presentation back in May 2014 uh, a couple of times. A plug-in minivan still part of the plan because that was announced at that time. It's on the board. <laughs> Let's talk about the Chrysler 300. When it first came out, it it really shook everybody up from a styling standpoint. It, it, it put the, the B in bling. It had that really bold grill, which I thought was overdone, but sales were sensational. The next generation, which is what's out there right now, everything was made much more sophisticated, toned down a little bit. One of the most handsome sedans in the market, in my opinion, didn't sell as well. Now, with the new generation coming, you've got that big, bold grill back again. Talk a little bit about how you hope that this styling approach will get those sales going. Yeah, John, I, I appreciate the setup on that one. The, uh, we're, we're really excited about the new 300, and, and uh, you're right. Back in 2005 with the original, and I call it the original, but it was the original of the rear-wheel drive big V8 300. The original original, 1955, was the first letter series, and I... I I'm embarrassed to say I was not around for it, thankfully. But um, what we did with the 2015 is effectively take the best of the, the 1955, which was a 300-horsepower-in-your-face car, wonderful, low-volume four-door sedan, and the best of the 2005. And the, you said it right. The 2005, we'd, you'd call it bling. We'd call it baby Bentley. We'd call it something with this attitude, and you could see it coming down the road. We, we redid the entire car in 2011, and it's a beautiful car to drive. Um, and as much as the sales weren't what they were back in 2005, between 2011 and, and current, let's call it, our sales were up 50%. We gained two and a half points of share. So we didn't do too badly with the old car, and the reason for that, it was a great car. You think about it, wonderful, sophisticated, very elegant, you said it right. Uh, it drove beautifully. It had the best fuel economy of any car in the large car segment of 31 miles per gallon. And you look at it and go, that's a large car that gets 31 miles per gallon. But the reality is it's a tremendous car to drive. Now, what we changed was we ripped off the front end, we ripped out the back, and we ripped out the cuts on the interior of the car, and we put it back to that attitude and that charisma and that, that pure ego that, that 2005 had. And I'd call it heart and soul is the way we think about it. But we really wanted to give it that attitude. 
because that's what the car was known for. And whether we like it as bling or baby Bentley or just pure attitude, it comes down the road and you see it coming and it is stunning. And, it, and, and it's actually, it's more than that. It's, uh, it's the, you get an eight-speed automatic transmission coupled that to a V8. So you've got raw power, 368 horsepower, 398 pound-feet of torque, and you have it coupled onto a, an, an eight-speed automatic transmission. So you get great fuel economy. So you really get the best of the best of both worlds. You get an all-wheel drive system that no one really offers. It's, yes, it's rear-wheel drive, but it can be all-wheel drive at the same time. The technology on the inside is stunning. It's got this big 8.4-inch command center we call Uconnect. So it's got a Wi-Fi hotspot, and it's got the navigation systems in 3D, and everything you ever wanted. And then we price it, as we talked about, at $31,500. And for what you get in that car, you cannot get it anywhere else. Um, so there are great cars on the road. In fact, the large car segment's fun because it's got tremendous products. But there's nothing quite like a 300. So it's, uh, it does stand alone, and we're looking forward to some big sales with it. So, so that's a big car, Al. Um, many of the luxury brand, brands globally are going into even the B car segment. Any plans for, for Chrysler? Or again, are you divided with what Dodge is going to do in that, in that size, Jeep, et cetera? We will always look at it. But uh, there is nothing in the plan today. Now, having said that, we recognize that segment's growing. Mm -hmm. But we have a brand in Fiat that, that is heavily into the B-size segment. In mm -hmm. fact, at A and B, and now starting with a 500X moving into C. So, so we recognize that, that if you look at the global picture of what FCA is all about, that, that we have Fiat. Fiat does extremely well with the B-segment. They've got a good following in the United States that's growing. Um, the sales are improving on a daily basis, and that's good. Could we do something on either Chrysler and Dodge, potentially? But that's a fairly small segment right now. Now, mm -hmm. if we see it grow significantly and we see the opportunity, maybe we look at it. Um, okay, but, but back right to that now. analyst presentation. There was talk of a Chrysler 100. Yes. You got the 200, you got the 300, the 100. So you're saying the 100 would not be a, a B-class car? No, it's a C-segment car C -segment. that would be, call it, right into the, uh, the it is not a subcompact, it's a compact. Yes, mm. it's a compact car, uh, call it $19,000, transaction price. It uh, needs to go hard against the Corolla and the Civic and uh, Focus, but that's where it is. Yeah, no, we have a plan for that, but no plan today for a B-segment car. So what brand is your main bogey? I mean, I used to think maybe it was Acura, you know, when 300 came out and so forth. Not quite full boat luxury versus BMW, Mercedes, but certainly um, a major luxury aspect to that. When, when you wake up in the morning, who would you like to kill the most? <laughs> well, that's, that's a leading question. <laughs> I mean, tone it down just a touch. Um, no, I think it's, uh, it, it's very simply. It, we look at this as a simple process, and, and I look at it this way. It's Ford, it's Chevrolet, it's Hyundai, it's Honda, and it's Toyota. This is absolutely as mainstream. Now, can I build you a luxury car that will go against some of the best of the best? Absolutely, but I'm not gonna price it that way. Mm. So I can give you everything you want, technology, craftsmanship, refinement, the whole thing, and I'm gonna price it appropriately so people can afford it, and it's a mainstream brand that's gonna be in the heart of the market. Now, the difference is, where everyone else tends to veer away from, from saying, hey, look, we're an American mainstream brand. We are an American mainstream brand mm -hmm. who is heart and soul. We build it here, we produce it here, and we design it for Americans. That's what the brand's all about. And frankly, that's what it was originally, if we go back you know, almost 90 years back to Walter, Walter P. P. 
That's what he said it was supposed to be. It was a value brand that you got all the stuff and you were surprised by how much you got for the price. If we don't put the wow back into Chrysler, then we failed. And when you guys look at Honda, though, do you, are you looking at Acura or Honda? Honda. At Honda. Absolutely. Okay. Uh -huh. Yeah, no, we look very seriously at 200 plays directly against Accord. It was designed to take on Accord at, at what Accord does best. Yeah. Very good, strong, quality product, and that's what the 200 is supposed to be. But it's supposed to take it one notch above it. For the same price, I'm going to give you a nine-speed automatic transmission, not a six. I'm going to give you a fuel-efficient vehicle, so we get 36 miles per gallon. But we'll give you an all-wheel drive where, where Honda doesn't. We'll also give you an interior that you absolutely get into, and, and you guys have all driven it. You get into that 200, and you look at it and go, wow, that's stunning. And for the price point, there's no better interior in the world. And, and thankfully, we keep winning awards for exactly that. It's, it's all about engines, and it's all about the interiors on these cars. They're beautiful. And so we, we get to thank Ralph Shields a lot for the engines and the, at least of the uh, interiors that he produces. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. On the new 200 and 300, you guys really separated the S model from the C model, which was the luxury model, and then you've got the C platinum model, correct, right now for the 300, the 300 right. where it's almost like an uber luxury model. Should we expect to see that kind of separation going forward where you've got the sport luxury and then just kind of the entry level, which is a pretty low volume for you? Yeah, I think the, uh, the brand is set up that, that would make sense to do that. Most of the segments we want to play in are these huge, great big segments that are just not that simple as, as making a car that's a good, better, best for the same customer. We look at it and say, we're going to make a good car, really good car, and we're going to, that's going to be our volume player. And then we separate that going north by saying, we want to make a sporty car and we want to make a luxury car. Because we recognize the younger customer today is really looking for more like the look, the wheels, the graphics, the black toned out the deal. The, you know, the interior is a little bit different. So if you want younger people, you've got to cater to what they want. And, and realistically, we can't build, we can, but we don't want to build a car that is a luxury car that is aimed at a 50 or a 60 year old and then try and slate that for that same customer who's, let's say, 35 to 50. They don't want the same thing, so why build them the same thing? So, yeah, plan going forward, as you said, the 200's built that way, the 300's built that way, and, and going forward, we look at all the vehicles that we're going to build will be a, a volume product in the heart of the market that's a great value, and then offshoots from then, one will be luxury, one will be called it the sporty side of the world. More Platinum's coming as well, because obviously the 300 was the first one you guys designated that's see platinum maybe i think when the when there's a there's a need for it yes we'll build a platinum the platinum's kind of fun it is you know it's the sort of thing that i personally <laughs> want to drive every day so it's it becomes something that the the guys on the brand the team that's looking at the design team and the engineering look at it from a standpoint of if there's a customer there that they're looking for that kind of luxury now we'll price we it at 43,000 we won't price it to 50 plus but yes there's an opportunity to build that car Al, did you guys expect the 200 to sell like it's selling? It's uh, just amazing when I look at the sales increase, 150, 160% up. Now, I understand the old one compared to a year ago, that was winding down and the like, so you're getting a big percentage increase. Nonetheless, I think the 200 is the best-selling passenger car within the entire Chrysler group right now. Did you guys think that it would grow that quickly to the leading position there? I, I would tell you we're right on plan, and that, that sounds like a factory line, but it's absolutely true. We, uh, we looked at this product, and, and you think about the investment that we made. It wasn't just investment in the product. It's an investment in Sterling Heights assembly plant. So we've got a plant that, that was a flat parking lot a year or at least two and a half years ago, um, and right outside of our home office in Auburn Hills. Um, 
and we invested effectively a billion dollars to build this plant. Now, it, it builds one product, and only one product. Today, it builds the 200. And the investment, both in the, the billion dollars in the plant and then the couple of billion dollars that builds a car now, was staggering. And you think about it, we were not the best car guys in town. No question about it. You know, we, that's just not what we did. We're extremely good at SUVs. We're really good at trucks, and we're tremendous at minivans. We can sell large cars in big numbers, but, but small, mid-sized cars was not, frankly, what we did best. So huge leap of faith, you might say. But, uh, and maybe that's a big risk, but the reality is if you can build products as well as we can build a Ram pickup, a Grand Cherokee, a Cherokee, pick anything you want, we knew we could build cars and we can build and sell them in big numbers. So if you think about what we've done, and you said it right, last month we sold 155% more than we sold November of 2013. Now the reality is, the way I'd think about it is actually you'd put 200 and Avenger together between the Chrysler and the Dodge product and it's really a 35% increase year over year. And that's still a huge number. And the best part of it is we're a little ahead of what I wanted to be because we've surpassed Malibu from a sales standpoint. We've surpassed Passat, and we've just surpassed Kia Optima. From a pure volume standpoint, we're now running about 8.5% share of the midsize car segment. Now, and incentives compared to those cars, how, how do you stand with that yeah, on incentives? And, and that's the really good question because people ask, oh, how did you do 150% increase year over year in one month? Well, there's about three sides of the story, naturally. Good manufacturing guy that I am. It's a good sales guy. <laughs> so, so incentives, I would tell you, are competitive, and I'll come back to that. The first well, piece of the well, story... we need a quick answer. We're getting down to the All end right. here. The first part of it is really, really good marketing that's working. So the uh, ready-to-take-on-the-world, the German, Japanese the advertising is getting people's attention, and, and the numbers look good there. The incentive side of it is we match Fusion exactly. They've got 2,500 on the hood. We've got 2,500 on the hood. They actually have a better APR than we do on their 15. And what we, what we were fighting with was we were fighting 2014 Fusions and Malibus and Camrys and Accords with our 15, so lower incentives, and now we're fighting head-to-head. -head. So sales are great. We're doing great. It's a wonderful car. I, I have nothing to complain about. Well, it's going to be fun watching what you do with the Chrysler brand. I can't wait to see some of these other products that you talked about, the 100, this crossover that's coming, what you're going to do with the minivan, going to be very interesting to watch that. Thanks so much for coming on and talking all about what you're doing with the Chrysler brand. My pleasure. Good to be here. And Lindsey Brook with SAE International, Mike Whalen with the Detroit News. want to thank you guys for being along hey, for this, John. too. John, thanks, John. And, of course, want to thank all of you for having tuned in.